case file number 4.3, The Weird Wide Web, Part 2, observed by Agent Grenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. All right, so today I'm going to divert from all of my random CIA tales and all that other stuff. We're going to talk about a guy named Barnaby Jack, and you kind of keyed me in on him. I think I had seen a video of his work or I'd seen the CSI episode that kind of references him and stuff like that, but I never actually sat down until I was writing the notes for today and like watched his presentation at uh, Black Hat and uh, read up like on his blog and stuff like that. For those people that are not Keenly aware of Barnaby Jack. He has passed away. He passed away. When was it 2013, I believe? He did a, a bunch of research for um, embedded systems. And his, his most famous stuff is uh, ATM hack. And he did some stuff with pacemakers and insulin pumps. Yeah. The year he died, or the next Black Hat after he after he died, there was, I think, some panel. I just heard a bunch of stories. I was at the panel where, where some folks were talking about the fact that he died and some of the stuff that he that he did and some of the kind of behind the scenes stories about that stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. I was like he was a name that was kind of in my head at, that I'd run across but never really read into and I and I put it on our episode list for one of us to do because I'm not really familiar with a lot of his work more than just like the headlines either so I was like well maybe I'll just get to hear about it instead of having to do all the work <laughs> Yeah, and I included a bunch of stuff in the show notes, links to his presentations. It took me a little bit to find the blog he wrote on pacemakers because five or six links just go to a 404 page, but I was able to track down the actual blog. So hopefully that stays active for a little bit. Then there's actually a really nice Wired article too that I'll reference towards the end. It has a lot of quotes from Dan Kaminsky about him. And we've already done our eulogy on Dan on Dan Kaminsky. You know, shout out again, we're not making any money at this point from anybody i don't know that anybody any of these folks even know we exist but shout out to anybody who is listening about wired i have been through the making of this podcast rather surprised at how many really good wired articles there have been about this kind of stuff they've ended up being an important part not the only thing that i've read but an important part of a lot of the episodes that i've ended up doing yeah 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 they they always have like really good write-ups to reference yeah. So Barnaby Jack was a security expert from New Zealand. And, you know, obviously I said his, his most famous thing was the ATM presentation in 2010 at Black Hat. And so I'm going to go a little bit into the presentation. Obviously, I'm not going to go like word for word because that's his presentation. And sure. you can you can watch it on YouTube. Another link that'll be in the show notes. But uh, Jack wanted to bring awareness to embedded system security, pointing out that he wasn't really giving a recipe for hacking these things. It was more about the, the journey than the destination for him and kind of showing all the different vulnerabilities that are there and trying to make people kind of think and understand that while it might be really cool to have this connected to the internet, like what are you exposing? Yeah. 
And all of the points he makes during his presentation of current attacks on ATMs are mostly still valid. Like as I was watching the presentation video, I was pausing it and doing some quick Google searching and saying like, is this still a thing? And pretty, pretty much all of them. Are. Yeah. yeah. Well, also uh, you and I, this past DEF CON saw a presentation about a guy buying an ATM and basically figuring out how to get into it and getting it entirely um, under his control. Because he, yeah. he owned it, totally legal, but you know he wanted to put it back in operation. He wanted to do non-destructive right. recovery of it. But during that presentation, the thing that I really realized from what he was saying is that a lot of the ATMs out there, the independent ones, they don't go out of service at any reasonable schedule. Even if no. the new ones were engineered with some of these things in mind, that doesn't mean there isn't a huge population of ATMs out there that don't still have all these problems and will never be fixed for them. Yeah, I actually had completely forgotten we saw that. Um, <laughs> so it was in his presentation, he bought two ATMs. And I was like, wait, you can just buy these? And like, sure enough, there's there's a, there's a website called atmmoneymachine.com where you can buy them. Or you can just go to eBay and buy a bunch of different units and stuff like that. Yeah. From the, from the DEF CON presentation, the business of it is once you have one and everything, if you want to find a place for it, you got to work that. But you also have to supply all the money that's in the cassette, which is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars so yeah it's not a bad business model but you do have to have a chunk of capital to start with mm -hmm. and yeah so like his presentation you know he talks about uh different ways of attacking atms skimmers everyone's kind of familiar with skimmers nowadays at gas station pumps or atms and stuff like that physical theft of just you know bash and grab and just take the atm with you there's simple stuff like shoulder surfing and then basically mugging the person for their card afterwards and you can also just straight cut into the ATM. And maybe I uh, remember back in the day of playing Payday 2, which is a, a Steam game where you're yeah. four bank robbers and yeah, like using the, uh, the chainsaw to cut into a bunch of ATMs. I'm pretty sure uh, that Xbox has it in their, in their uh, game library for, for their pass. So it's on console. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a crazy fun game. And the music's awesome too for that. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. So yeah, like I said, he, he bought some uh, ATMs. <laughs> You know, in a presentation, joking around about how, like, he got them delivered to the house and the guy was asking him, like, why, why would you get these delivered here? And he was like, oh, I'm just like sick of the bank fees. <laughs> Back when he was doing this, you want to, you want to guess what embedded OS the ATMs are running? VMS? No, no. Windows CE. Oh, right. That is right. The presentation at DEF CON. Honestly, we should look up with reference. I've mentioned it too many times not to give the guy's <laughs> name at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. But... So Windows CE is Windows Embedded Compact, which mm -hmm. I was like, why, why, why are the C and the E flipped around there? But who knows? And I didn't, I didn't care actually. Like look before that. But this quote from uh, Thomas Fenwick, who was the uh, kernel creator of CE, uh, Jack's presentation, and he quotes him as basically saying, "We were concerned about protection, but not about security. We weren't trying to design an airtight system like Windows NT mm -hmm. uh, when it comes yeah. to to CE." So. In order to inject an Explorer EXE into the boot up process of the ATM, if you start them right up, it just it straight boots into their embedded OS and there's nowhere to kind of grab hold of it and do your own thing, get like a shell. Mm -hmm. And so what Jack did was he used something called JTAG. I don't know if you're familiar with those. No. Yeah, I'd never heard of them either. They're basically a common hardware interface that provides your computer with a way to directly talk with the chips on any board. You can just go online and buy one of these, but you know, there's like a full write-up that I found too of just like you know, like a hacker's dream come true. Like it lets them just kind of interface with almost everything. 
so funny enough, like uh, he was saying during his presentation, while he was messing with the firmware and like trying to, you know, get it to boot up and inject stuff into it, he accidentally deleted a chunk of it. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, ah, oh, shit. Because you have to be your registered uh, bank or ATM vendor to like be able to get the software to reflash your ATM. And he obviously was not just some security researcher. So he had to call some ATM techs and they came over to fix fix his stuff. And uh, he said, you know, as, as he was chatting him up and, you know, they, they again too were like, why do you have these ATMs in your house? And he was just kind of like, oh, like I was just working on them here before I transferred them to the, the bank or whatever. But one of, one of the techs actually like was pretty friendly and chummy with him. And gave him a bunch of information and they <laughs> and like they, they stayed in touch and stuff like that. So he said during the presentation, he was like, you know, our friendship is probably uh, broken at this point. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he got a shell eventually playing around with the ATMs. And, you know, like the first thing he did was play movies on them. <laughs> and like turns out they're shit for playing movies because, you know, the art was not that great. But it, it did remind me there was that one uh, firmware hack for printers where you could play Doom on the printers. I, I think I missed that one. Yeah, you could just take a USB and like flash your printer with Doom and just play that instead. Well, there's been some cool stuff with printers over the over the years. It's probably not enough to do a, a whole episode, but there was a group called LSD, and I forget what the LSD stood for. But back in like the early 2000s, they had compiled a bunch of tools like Nmap and stuff to run on the printer. So they'd hack the printer, upload these utilities, and scan the network from the printer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's surprising what you can do with these capable machines. In fact, the lesson here for ATMs, for printers, for a lot of stuff is that a lot of these devices are computers and mm-hmm. hooked up to your network. They're attack surface and that attack surface can be used to pivot to the rest of your network. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the shout out to Roy Davis from uh, DEFCON 29, uh, no key, no pin, no problem. And he says even in his blurb that this is jumping off from where what the stuff that Barnaby Jack did and he would never gotten to where he got without Barnaby's work. Yeah. So further on in the presentation, Jack shows um, the motherboard of these ATMs is very secure and protected by a one key fits all lock. This is, this is standard practice apparently according to him across pretty much all the ATMs. And I looked on eBay, you can order these keys. They're like 10 yeah. bucks. And yeah, you know, you can just take them at every ATM that like fits that manufacturer and just pop it open. You know, he, de- he demonstrates, you know, again, definitely suggest like watching the full video, mm-hmm. but he, he demonstrates kind of like a quick little tack on the ATM with the popping the key, you know, just putting something inside of it, stuff like that. And he mentions during his presentation that like, you know, a lot of ATMs are, they're in fairly well lit areas, but they're not in like, you know, some of them might be like out, out in an alley leading up to a business or something like that. And, yeah. you know, or in the back corner of the 7-Eleven. Yeah. 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 Or like, yeah. In a bar or something like that. And yeah. You know, like somewhere where like people could glance over and see you doing something. But if you're quick about it, like you could throw a USB in there and be gone pretty yeah. quickly. So uh, upgrading the firmware on these things is done via removable drives. You basically just plug in a new drive and it checks the drive for any upgrades that are valid and signed and then upgrades the system. So he basically just reverse engineered the code on the ATM side to figure out the algorithms for the encryption. And... Most of these ATMs have uh, capabilities for configuring them are uh, remote updating the software. So u- using all this and you know basically modifying the software and, or the firmware, Barnaby wrote a program called Dillinger, obviously after the, the famous yes. bank robber. 
which is a remote attack and admin tool. So Dillinger basically exploits an authentication bypass vulnerability that he found in these things. Mm-hmm. And a fun fact as well that he states in the presentation is a remote administration is enabled by default on every ATM. I wonder if if the folks that are the, the ATM operators at this point have adopted some of his tools uh, because they work better than, than the uh, yeah. stuff produced by the manufacturer. <laughs> back in the original back orifice, back orifice 2000 days, mm-hmm. I knew a lot of administrators or trying to be administrator folks that used those tools because they were better than what was available <laughs> because this is yeah. before VNC was a thing. Now, I mean, that was a bad, bad plan, but it's not the first time. It wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, yeah. That tools developed for hacking ended up becoming, got used for mainstream operations. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You probably know this. What are the or, like the origins of NetCat? Was that made as like a system administrative tool or was no, that? No, 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 it was, it was used as a mechanism to do banner grabbing and essentially uh, arbitrary port listening. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember using NetCat with like backtrack uh, R5 and stuff like that. And when I got my job, like it was very frowned upon to have NetCat in your systems. Yeah. And now NetCat is on most of our systems for, yeah, like port scanning and stuff like that. Well, the, I mean, you can exfiltrate with NetCat very easily that was mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons that people would really use it as you can make a port listener or or a port transmitter that just raw to the socket udp or tcp i think you could even do p or icmp although that's not particularly hard to add a text mm-hmm. message into very into certain kinds of icmp messages but right. that was definitely a hacking tool like you mm-hmm. nmap is used for its original intended purpose because it was used for surveying networks. Mm-hmm. Fidor assumed that you were allowed to scan the network you were scanning. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but like that was more or less the intended purpose. Netcat was a, if not a malicious tool, a a a hacking kludge of a tool that got a lot of mainstream use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with his tool, Dillinger, he was able to, so it supported TCP IP as well as dial-up. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And he could basically scan, yeah, scan for ATMs. And, you know, once you found an ATM, you could pull the settings off of that through the mm-hmm. administrative tool and actually figure out the location of the ATM. Because, you know, whenever you get a receipt, it will say mm-hmm. the location yeah, yeah. of the ATM you used. And then, you know, after that, he was able to upload his rootkit to the to the systems. And I love, I love the name of his, his rootkit's name is scrooge.bin. <laughs> and but some, some of the stuff you could retrieve too. So not only the location can you retrieve, but you can also retrieve track data from the ATMs because they store that. So the ATM card information from the people who've used it? Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, all the magnetic uh, strip data, yeah. So, so with, uh, with Scrooge as his rootkit, he set it up so that there would be a hidden menu um, via either a key combination press on the ATM or a special card that he had that you could insert and get the special menu. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever, so back, actually back when I, before I was in security, I mean, I still kind of pirated games and stuff like that. And part of that mm-hmm. was we had a soda allegedly. machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, allegedly. I paid for all my games. We had a soda machine outside my graphic design class. And I figured out that there there used to be a special combination of the buttons you could press on these soda machines. I think this one was a Coca-Cola machine. And if you did that, you got the administrative panel and then you could just vend sodas for yourself. I think I saw that, but I never, I never actually knew the combo. Yeah. It, like each one was different. And I think like the year later they just swapped it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's not dissimilar from, and we'll 
do an episode eventually on phone freaking, they had to solve a similar problem as they did with the phone where you don't have like a digital command channel. You only have the buttons on the front Mm -hmm. and you have to embed something into the system because there's no real authentication layer that you can bring back to a central office. So this is all like, I mean, not electromechanical, it's all integrated circuits, but it's all standalone systems that has to work kind of wherever you drop it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that only works with security through obscurity, which is why we say security through obscurity is no security at all. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so in in this demo, also I should make a key point, the the actual demo, so his, his talk goes up until 23 minutes into the video. And then at 23 minutes, that's when he actually does the full-on demo with the two ATMs he has on stage. And so he he shows, you know, Dillinger's GUI uh, and uploads uh, Rukit to one of the ATMs and uh, re- reboots it. So then, you know, he demonstrates on the one ATM the special key sequence to get the menu and also uh, using the card to get the menu. And basically, once, once you get to the special menu, you can just dispense cash out of it for yourself. Awesome. So he dispenses like three three bills that are like each a million dollars or something like that. <laughs> Millions and millions of dollars. Exactly. And afterwards, the functionality of obtaining the track data off the card is shown when he calls one of his friends up on stage and uses, like, it's a fake card this guy had. Mm -hmm. Like, the track data literally says, like, please steal my money, like, lately, 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 I'm a hacker or something like that. And then finally, the remote jackpot is shown on the ATM, remotely making it just dispense a cash. Mm -hmm. So on the second ATM, uh, he demonstrates the walk-up attack that I was mentioning, where he just pops open the back, puts a USB kit on that has the root kit on it, closes it up, and then reboots it. And then basically remotely jackpots that, and then just like, you know, straight up just starts spitting money out onto the floor. Um, and he, he dumps the entire dispenser out to lots of cheers and clapping. Of course. I mean, yeah. hey, it's always great when you're at DEF CON, or uh, I guess it was, this was Black Hat, but uh, yeah. uh, and a demo goes right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So like, like I was saying, not much has improved with ATM security. I found a CNET video article on ATM security in 2019, where two guys, uh, Charles Henderson and David uh, Perney, show how easily they can just break into these ATMs with their, I think their company's called X Factor. Mm-hmm. And so they, they show an attack where uh, they can modify what's dispensed from the ATM. So, you know, he demonstrates going up, dispensing out 40 bucks. So, you know, two $20 bills. And then he goes back and it dispenses out 10 $20 bills. Uh, instead mm-hmm. of the four. But if you look at the receipt that he gets, it still says that the machine dispensed out $40. So the bank never really knows that, you know, right. you just got a wad of cash. The audit trail is falsified. Yeah. And so this isn't running Windows CE embedded because, you know, that was that was 10 years ago. So obviously it's gotten better. So now they're just running Windows XP embedded. And the, the more up-to-date ones might have Windows 7 on them. See, like, <laughs> it's this, it's voting machines, it's can industry with all of the stuff that they're selling people come up with a real secure embedded operating system? No, because that, that would take too much money and time. Yeah. Well, this is this is a whole new rant about open source and unpaid code being you being profited on by by companies everywhere. Reasonably recently there was some stuff about log4j and whatnot. And it's mm-hmm. and this is like this a crazy tangent but it's just like oh you just use stuff and you didn't do any code audit you didn't contribute anything back yet the open source world is evil because it has these vulnerabilities and industry shouldn't rely on it anymore these people's business models are built so they only have to develop some of the code that they need yeah it's very grating because yeah like you said like they they 
benefit off of it for 10, 20 years. And then there's one vulnerability and they're like, oh, like this open source, like, oh my God, like, can you believe how insecure it is? And it's like, you, you have made a lot of money using this and not like rolling your own or like paying rights to use this sort of thing. Well, in a lot of cases, they're not paying rights. Um, mm-hmm. But in this case, it's a similar problem, but not exactly the same, which is that they're using fossilized operating environments yeah. that weren't built for secure applications. Mm-hmm. They were built to run kiosks that weren't security sensitive. And this is all right. This is actually a germane point. This is the same kind of argument for how much crypto to use or how mm-hmm. much security to apply to just about anything is it's always a balancing act of how much it costs to add a control to deal with these risks versus how much it's worth it to exploit it. Yeah. And in ATM, again, going back to those thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in the cassette, the exploitation is worth way more than messing with the screen that you first see in a hotel lobby Mm -hmm. or the road signs that we've seen hacked a bunch of times. Yeah, 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 exactly. Although the road sign thing could potentially have a very high... uh, that could be extreme if somebody found the right circumstances to hack the right road sign to create a very dangerous situation. It's also very interesting because you mentioned crypto. Mm-hmm. And it's very strange to me that sometimes a lot of these companies and stuff, they will use like like Log4J or like these other open source libraries and stuff like that, but then roll their own crypto, which never goes well. Right. Well, I mean, it's one of the essential rules, I think, in like the first chapter of the intro to the new Big Red book. If you're going by the old school uh, rainbow books, mm-hmm. apply cryptography. In the intro of the first chapter basically says, unless you're the NSA, don't roll your own crypto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think it goes more like, if you don't hold, employ the best cryptographers in the world, don't roll your own crypto. So basically, yeah. if you're not the NSA. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not just, I mean, it is crypto, like kind of a tangent but i i have people on missions that i've worked on that rolled our own stuff for like mm-hmm. like transferring files and stuff like that and it's not that they write it in a way that's like so much faster than scp or um some, something that's in an industry standard like it's just it's clunky and it's meant to only transfer their files and for some reason they've never used like you know scp or like you know our sync which yeah. is just scp with them what is the old saying those who don't know unix are doomed to repeat it poorly yeah 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 it it drives me crazy some of the meetings i've had but anyways yeah they in 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 this video they also show like not only is it running all these crappy windows embedded software but atms still communicate back to the bank and clear text over the network and so they're able to show you know using wireshark or i think it was wireshark they're using it sends the track data across the network there's like your magnetic strip data which is actually funny because PCI explicitly tells you not to. And ATM cards and PCI and payment cards for um, credit cards are not necessarily the same thing. It's, I haven't had to work in that environment for a little while, so I actually don't know if ATM cards are completely covered by PCI. Mm-hmm. But even the original PCI 1 standard said you couldn't transmit the credit card data over the clear. Right, yeah. One consulting thing I had, I was just watching the traffic across the wire because we were we were manipulating the uh, the security of the Windows box that was the register, mm-hmm. and we wanted to make sure that we weren't actually impeding the the flow of traffic. Right. Well, it yeah. was like three or four in the morning, and I was very tired, and I was just 
watching the thing. And I swiped my credit card because I was completely brain dead to the point of brain damage. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find the test card. Right. I was watching Wireshark and I saw the packet go across. And I recognized, I was like, wait, I recognize that number. <laughs> because I memorized my credit card numbers and I was like, mm-hmm. that, that's my credit card number which meant that it went across the wire in the clear. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, boop, boop, boop. I don't think this is working like, we, like we're like we supposed to be working. <laughs> hey, hey, guys. Uh. <laughs> like, you told me not even to look at this stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. we should take a closer look. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And this is like half these presentations at uh, DEF CON are always like, hey, like we kind of just glance behind the curtain and holy crap, like look at what they're doing. <laughs> Like yeah. they have, they haven't learned in like 10, 20 years. Like, yeah, a lot of very similar things was in a presentation about body cams at DEF CON four-ish years ago, maybe five, something like that. That might warrant a little bit of investigation in and of itself, but we'll, we'll get yeah. there. <laughs> and in, in this demo, obviously this is a two-man job because you got to have mm-hmm. one person sending signals to the ATM to dispense extra cash and someone there mm-hmm. to pick it up, you know, and the mastermind is going to be the guy running the software and you could just hire someone to go pick up yeah. the cash, well, we know give him 30% and, you know, be on his way. That's the way that certain carding exploitation stuff works. It's not mm-hmm. like it's a obscure business model. <laughs> yeah. And they, they too show like a jackpotting of the ATM mm-hmm. and they kind of reference the fact that the banks don't, really know how much is in that atm like obviously if you if you dump the entire atm it's going to send up warning bells but if you you know dump out like a few thousand the bank's not going to really like notice like eventually maybe like if it runs out way ahead of schedule it's going to be like wait a second let's look look at all the the transactions on this atm but i highly doubt even half the time they would do that they just say like oh it ran out of money we go refill it now it would only be like if it Day one, they like replenished it, and then day two, it was empty again. Would they be like, "Wait a second, let's look at the transaction data to see"? That's part of why credit card fraud got it because it did before some some of the um, behavioral stuff that they put in place that are so much fun for all of us to deal with came into being. Is that auditing was such a, such a large overhead thing? Everybody, the finance industry, in a lot of ways, is still thinking of things in terms of humans looking through paper. Yeah, that they don't leverage the computerization to a point that they can get automatic auditing and it's not a we've got virtual double entry bookkeeping it's mm-hmm. a matter of expected expected flow what came in and what went out and you know it's kind of random how much these atms can hold mm-hmm. like some of them can hold up to like 200,000 or more yeah. it's typical for them to have around $10,000 but still like like it's a good chunk of change that's a decent used car <laughs> yeah especially if you if you well maybe not right now but <laughs> yeah if you know how to pop like a bunch of different atms at the same time mm-hmm. cuz that, that is one thing like all the different atms have different ways they they handle things but you know you you can find a bunch of the same atms by the same software vendor and everything you know probably mm-hmm. in a, a tightly enough geographical location where you, like you could possibly, you know, hit like six, seven of them and make like ten, twenty thousand dollars like in a yeah, night. Well, I mean, if this is what you're doing and you're pulling in a thousand dollar, you're hitting an ATM a day mm-hmm. and, you know, you're spreading it out different ATM every day and you're bringing yeah. out a thousand dollars, that's $360,000 a year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you don't even have to stay in the same city. Like you, mm-hmm. You could spend 
two, three years kind of getting a route down and then, you know, figure out like, okay, I'll start here, go around this route along, you know, like the continental United States. By the time you come back to your starting point, you could just start doing it again. And it's not like anyone would know because, you know, it have been, yeah, probably like a year by the time you get back. And that's exactly what you do. So uh, Barnaby Jack not only did ATMs, but he did some stuff with pacemakers and insulin pumps. He demonstrated at a McAfee conference in 2011, uh, wireless hacking of insulin pumps. And he was able to interface with them with a high gain antenna and took complete control of them. So he was able to demonstrate for on a demo unit that was sitting on a bench. Mm-hmm. He could just set, have it send the max dose of 25 units over and over and over again until the entire reservoir 300 units was depleted, which is That's enough shocking. to kill like a, a good chunk shocking. of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, he had a friend with an insulin pump too that he demonstrated the hack on, but obviously didn't murder him. Yeah. There's demos going well, and then there's demos going too well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in 2012, he also demonstrated that you could assassinate someone by hacking their pacemaker. This was at a Breakpoint Security Conference in Melbourne. This is this is um, based off a TV show called Homeland, where they showed a hacking mm-hmm. of pacemaker. So Jack actually wrote a blog post called Broken Hearts, which we'll link in the, the notes. And, and it, he's basically like, oh, like this, the show was silly. You don't even need the serial number to do this. It's like it's even easier than the show made it out to be. And he was set to give another presentation on pacemakers in 2013, but he died a week before he was able to give that. And in that, he was going to present basically that he could remotely send electric shocks to anyone wearing a pacemaker within 50 feet, and that he could also scan for remote controlled uh, insulin pumps in the 300-foot radius around him. And and a lot of these these, uh, security issues are still around, like I did a quick Google search. There's a pacemaker hacker from 2019 where you could upload malware straight to a person's pacemaker. Well, those those devices are difficult to update because making changes to them requires all of the extra overhead of getting a medical device cleared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so I'll, I'll end this here with a quote from Kaminsky, basically on the topic of, you know, as more and more things get added to the internet, he noted that, you know, quote, the internet gets hacked all the time. But if you if you screw up with the current internet, nobody dies. Uh, nothing that bad happens. Someone's Facebook page is corrupted. Oh, well, you know, we'll fix it. Someone's computer crashes. Oh, well, whatever. But, you know, as you start adding these these extra things, yeah, it, it well, just opens a host, a host of issues. I do remember, I don't know if I was there when he said that, because I did make <laughs> a point to see all of his presentations or if I just read it. Do you happen to have a date on that? This was in the 2013 Wired article about Barnaby's death. This is a feeling that I had, but has really crystallized through a lot of the research I've done so far for the, for this podcast, is right around 2012 to 2014 is when we really saw the turn from the graffiti exploitation to monetization. Mm-hmm. Not saying there wasn't monetization before, but now... Everything we're worried about is monetization. We're not worried about defacement at all at this point. We don't care right. about defacement. But defacement used to be the thing that the was the thing that we were most worried about. It's like, oh, the public will know we got hacked. Uh, but that that really changed just a little bit after 2010. So even at that point, I would say that we we hadn't fully actualized the world of of monetization of hacks, which isn't quite as bad as as remotely hacking everybody's pacemaker or holding them for ransom for it, but it's the next step. But the story I wanted to relate really quickly, I should have 
looked it up beforehand. So I'm going to tell, basically <laughs> tell the short, short, short version. But during the eulogies of Barnaby Jack, and I don't remember who said this, it might've been Dan, was saying that they went to this security conference in Saudi Arabia. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they did during that conference was they showed off this ATM that dispensed gold directly. Yep. When, you know, before crypto, when all of the folks for alternative currencies were, were very interested in precious metals. And they were like, we can't let Barnaby anywhere near there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I, I read that. that. That's in the Wired article, if yeah. anyone wants to read that. Yeah, yeah. Dan was talking about it. And also that, like, apparently the, the hotel gave him permission to do it, but the ATM was not owned by the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, I don't know that I want to tiptoe on the scary side of the law in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Brings a, a whole new set of fright to the world's going biblical. <laughs> exactly. Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon.